my name is Neil Middleton and every month we create informative content for you as we talk to important, influential and inspirational people from the world of bats as well as other areas of interest. To find out more about Batability, go to batability.co.uk. Now for the interview. Let's do it. Um, so hi, I'm uh, I'm Julia. I'm the technical manager at Wildcare, and uh, this is Neil Middleton from Batability, and we're here today to talk about the effectiveness, uh, effective ecologist. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'd a while ago since I wrote that book, Julia, and uh, sometimes I've got to kind of remind myself what the title was as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you doing today? I'm not doing too bad at all. Uh, the sun's shining. It's a bit cold at night still, so I've still got to uh, have my first encounter with uh, my first bat of 2021, but oh, wow. uh, I'm very, very busy, so uh, it's kind of good if it stays cold for about another week, another week and a half. That'll uh, suit me uh, from that point of view. Yeah. I take it it's, it's quite cold up in Scotland. Is that where you're based? Yeah, yeah, centre belt of Scotland. At the moment, we're typically down to one, two, maybe three degrees overnight. During the day, we're probably sitting about nine, ten, eleven degrees this week during the day, yeah. Okay, and so uh, what temperature do bats like to sort of come out of hibernation? Okay, so it's not so much that, although, yeah, it's a bit that, but generally bats tend to be active when insects are active. And yeah. different insect species become active at different temperatures. And mm. the box standard temperature for a lot of insect species to become active is round about six degrees. And then when you get to about eight degrees, you have a whole swath of other insects that apparently become active at that point. So from the point of view of bat activity levels at this time of year, you would pretty much want the temperature uh, when it's dark to be no less than six degrees I would suggest okay so anything more than six uh, would potentially be good for bats at this time of year yeah hmm. so um thinking about uh what you do then you work for batability or you're the director I should say um so what is it what kind of services do you offer people Okay, well, uh, before Batability, I ran an ecological consultancy called Echoes Ecology. And in 2017, I came away from Echoes Ecology. I set up Batability. And Batability is a training people development organisation. Also do a little bit of our own funded research and do uh, writing. I've uh, got books on the go and stuff that... Uh, have been published or going to be published but mm. by, by and large Batability is a training organization for people that are primarily interested in bats but we do other uh, bat related ecology related and business related training as well so mm. whole whole load of things there in, in Batability yeah. so what sort of thing inspired you in, into sort of bringing about batability? Oh, well, um, my interest in bats probably started almost 30 years ago. Mm. I wasn't a professional bat person uh, at all until about 2000, well, 2006. That's when I launched Echoes Ecology. And that was primarily uh, when that started training, trading rather, that was a bat and bird ecological consultancy. Okay. And yeah, and after I decided to retire from Echoes, not retire from work and life, but retire from Echoes, there was a certain aspect of what I was doing uh, under the Echoes banner that I really enjoyed, and that was the people development side of things. So I took the people development training uh, service from Echoes and that then got branded Batability within my other business. So Batability mm-hmm. isn't actually a business in its own right. It's a, it's a brand that sits under a business that's called Time for Bespoke Solutions, which is my business. 
and mm. Time for Bespoke Solutions is a business consultancy training company and Batability is a brand that sits underneath that uh, that business name, so to speak. Yeah. So it's just what I've okay. always done, you know, for, well, I say always, I've been involved in training people or assisting people or developing people in Bat-related mat- matters. Yeah. Probably for... Oh, in excess of 20 years, okay? Um, and I've been doing bats for about six, seven years longer than that, I suppose, yeah. I can understand um, the sort of feeling of joy that you you might get from training a person. Because uh, I myself uh, was a teacher once upon a time. Wow. Um, okay. And it's really nice to see people sort of grow in, in their positions and things. And I guess that's what inspired you to write The Effective Ecologist. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, my, my background professionally before I was call it a professional ecologist, professional bat person. My background before that was almost 26, 27 years working in service sector businesses. Mm. And ecological consultancies are quite simple business models. They're service sector uh, businesses by and large. And a lot of the stuff that I learned, a lot of the stuff that was... uh, taught to me by people that I used to work for and the insurance company that I spent the bulk of my time working in. A lot of that stuff is stuff that would apply across many business models, but especially any service sector business model. So, you know, I've made an awful lot of mistakes. I still do. Um, But I remember when I was in my late teens, right through my 20s, well into my 30s, um, working for that massive insurance company. I learned so much about uh, service, customer care, mm-hmm. and being productive in a department that was focusing on whatever aspect of service, a uh, customer service that department was deliver- delivering. And I made many, many mistakes and I got much, much guidance and also created things in my own head as well that would that I found beneficial to me. Mm. And what I found in the ecology sector, when I started in the ecology sector, what I found there was the sector was full of people who were technically brilliant, really knowledgeable about the things that they did that bats or birds or vegetation or whatever and the knowledge that uh, most of these people had was just you know awesome it was immense but very few or you know a very small percentage of people in our sector has actually been given any sort of training on non-technical subjects so, you know, you, you go into a room full of ecologists and you say, hey, tomorrow there's a badger course. Who wants to go in the badger course? Yeah. And they're all, yeah, me boss, I want to go in the badger course. And you go in the same room um, and you say, who wants to go in a time management course or a customer care course or a negotiating yeah. skills course? And everybody's got their heads down and <laughs> they take the thought that either they don't need to know about that stuff or they think they are really good at that stuff that there's nothing that anybody else can tell them about it. And in some cases, that is possibly accurate. But in many cases, I see people doing things or rather not doing things that would actually stand them in much better, uh, in a much better way if they just considered the non-technical aspects of what they were doing as seriously as the technical aspects. So mm-hmm. having helped, I suppose, many, many people over a number of years uh, with some of this stuff, um, I kind of got pretty passionate about, well, pretty passionate about thinking, is there something I can do to help people understand uh, better how to be better organised, how to be better at mm-hmm. timekeeping? Uh, the sort of things to think about when they start working in a service sector business, uh, how to engage 
with their boss or if you're the boss how to engage with your staff and all of this seems quite um how can i put it yeah i suppose what i'm trying to think about here with what i'm trying to say i don't have the answer for everybody all of the time and mm. anybody that's worked for me either alongside me or for me uh, in my previous business will know that I am not perfect and they will know that I get things wrong and they will know that I do stuff that I potentially or definitely shouldn't do or shouldn't say. But that doesn't mean that I haven't realised that I've made mistakes and it doesn't mean that through having made mistakes that I can't then use the experience of those mistakes to try and encourage others not to mm. do the same stupid thing that I did, for example. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's kind of what I'm <laughs> trying to kind of put across here. I ain't well, perfect. you can only be yeah. human, can't you? A- absolutely. Um, everybody's absolutely. gonna make mistakes. It's yeah. like you say, it's the ability to actually sit back away from the situation and reflect on it and then say, Hey, I could have probably done that better. Yeah. Um, so, and so, then yeah. Change the way that you do things. Yeah. Somebody, somebody once said to me on a training course, and I remember their name, but, but I won't say their name because that wouldn't be fair. Um, yeah. They said, they said to me in front of the room, um, "Don't ever learn anything from someone that's never made a mistake." Yeah. Mm. And uh, and at that point, I thought, "Oh my goodness, you've definitely come to the right guy because I've made a lot of mistakes." And <laughs> and I think for me, that is the difference between technical knowledge and experience. Yeah? yeah, someone can know an awful lot about a subject. Yeah, but they don't have any experience with actually doing the subject. Mm. And it's not until you actually start doing the thing that you've learnt about or you've read about. Yeah. It's not until you start doing that and you then start uh, making mistakes or potentially anticipating what might go wrong if you do things in a certain way and then maybe changing what it was you were about to do in order to avoid something bad happening. If you're enjoying listening to our podcasts, perhaps you would also be interested in joining Batability Club. To find out more about Club, which includes hundreds of hours of accessible training resources available to you in your own time and at your own pace, go to batability.co.uk. Thank you. It's not until you actually go through that kind of problem-solving, non-standard scenario, here is something that wasn't in the book or wasn't in the Mm -hmm. course, and how am I going to work it out? It's not until you start doing that that you actually start building upon what I would describe as experience. Yeah. And and you'll literally get experience through um trial and error. And mm-hmm. no one Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. And I think I don't know if I said this in the book or if I wrote this in a blog once, but no one learned anything from an easy day at work. You know, if you've got yeah. an easy day at work where what you've done is what you've always done and there were no problems and you haven't learned anything you know you're Mm. no further forward than what you were at 8 30 this morning come five o'clock tonight you may be a lot less stressed yeah Mm. but yeah but but you haven't actually developed uh, anything uh, any further in that respect yeah yeah what what would you say uh, one of your mistakes was that you you wish you hadn't done, or oh, okay. <laughs> it's that cruel question. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've got so many, but I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what my major Achilles heel is. All right, and this is something that has followed me my entire professional life. Yeah, mm-hmm. is I am not very good at faces and names. All right, so I will. Um, <laughs> I'll see somebody's face and I'll know that I'll know them, but I won't f- yeah. but I won't remember their name. Or I'll know somebody's name and I'll know that I've met them before, but I'll have forgotten what they look like. <laughs> so, oh. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so I have uh, I write about uh, one or two of these things in the various uh, 
books uh, if I say various there's only been three books but I've certainly written about one of those scenarios in the Is That a Bat book and I think there's at least one of the stories relating to that sort of thing in the Effective Ecologist book I have yeah, I have done some things where I haven't recognised someone where, you know, you just want the floor to open up and swallow you. Uh, just yeah. <laughs> totally mortifying. You um, almost need a wingman to sort of go around with yeah, you and sort of yeah. nudge uh, you and be like, hey, that's Bob. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know something, I'm, I'm sure she won't mind me, I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, but uh, Laura Carter-Davis, who's now the owner and the managing director of Echoes. Um, yeah, mm. she used to be that person. Uh, she used to be the person that kind of followed behind me uh, or alongside <laughs> me, rather, most of the time at courses or business meetings, kind of whispering, whispering, sorry, whispering in my ear, right, that's Bob, no, that's Anne, that's John. <laughs> and, uh, Brilliant. <laughs> and, and the reason she did that is because uh, Laura had on one or two occasions had been with me where I'd made a complete prat of myself because I'd forgotten somebody's name or their face. And she then thought, if I'm ever with him anywhere, I'm going to make sure he does not embarrass himself or me <laughs> by doing yeah. that again. So, uh, yeah, so a little bit of that goes on. Yeah. Uh, I can understand because um, with like a group of, oh, I only had about t 10 or 12 students in a, in a class, but... Oh, some of them I really just couldn't remember and I always just remembered the ones that like were naughty right yeah <laughs> so yeah. It, it's kind of bad that you don't remember the good ones um but yeah. well, well, what, what, what did you teach by the way I never asked you what did you teach oh um a range of things so I taught at Moulton College and um so I, I taught everybody from entry level so that's people with learning dis difficulties up to the sort of degree foundation degree level and it was um plant science research methods that sort of thing okay. statistics yeah. well, um horticulture in the main okay no wow wow yeah. well a little technique i learned uh, years ago because i used to do before before the, uh, the pandemic um pretty much every week i would be in a business somewhere uh, doing something where i would have a room of people you know, from one yeah. or two people up to 20, 30 people. And the thing that I did religiously, and I'll continue to do if uh, if you ever get the opportunity to do face-to-face -face training again, um, mm. at the very beginning, when people are introducing themselves, I always had a, like a table plan, uh, a blank yeah. table plan on my desk in front of me, and I would write the people's names in according to where they were sitting. And... That's just something that uh, I've done for a long time. And it's because I know I'm going to, you know, in the heat of a debate or a conversation, I'm going to forget somebody's name. And yeah. and it's horrible to do that to someone. It really yeah, is. It, is. it really yeah. is. And if anybody's listening out there and I've ever done that to you, <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. And... I'll know that I've done it and I will have given myself an immensely hard time about it. Okay, uh, I apologise, I'm sorry, yeah. Anyway, back to you, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do the same thing with the crib sheet, but then I sort of learnt to pick up on characteristics of people. So you sort of link an image to who they are and then you do actually remember them yeah. quite effectively that way. But... Talking of pandemics, how would you say um, someone could be most effective in a disruptive time like this? Look, I, th I think with something like that, um, I mean, I've been in businesses in the past and uh, and when we had the stock market crash, whatever you call it, which was around about 2008, uh, yeah. when I was running Echoes at that point, uh, Echoes was less than two years old at that point. And in a different kind of way, uh, that was very disruptive uh, in a business environment. And I'd already gone well, I'd already gone through something similar for different reasons uh, in a department, a departmental situation in the in the insurance company. And for me, when all of this kicked off just over a year ago, um, look, it's totally horrendous, and you know. 
none of us can come up with enough adjectives to say how bad it's been and how terrible it's been. It's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for those people directly involved, I've um, been very fortunate I haven't been directly involved from the point of view that I uh, haven't lost any family or anything like that. But mm-hmm. from, a, from, a, from a pure business point of view, at the very beginning of this, before we knew how bad it was going to be and how long it was going to last, for me it was pretty straightforward because it was kind of, right, what does a business do when the marketplace collapses or you lose your biggest customer or something like that. And for me, there are certain things. And I think the first thing is um, don't spend too much time uh, being upset or being uh, frustrated about what you can't do or you're no longer Mm. able to do. You've got to very quickly move away from that and focus on what you can do. And there are lots of things in many businesses that they are not normally able to do because they're too darn busy. (laughs) And for me, uh, 12 months ago was an opportunity for businesses like that to start thinking about rebuilding themselves or rebuilding Mm -hmm. processes, procedures, uh, staff development, um, product ranges, service ranges, uh, revisiting you know, things like invoicing processes, uh, tendering processes. There's so much that you can be doing, whether you're in an office or you're stuck at home or anything like that. And and I suppose this is what uh, some people, including myself, would describe as controllables. So worry about the stuff that you can control. Focus mm. on the stuff that you can do. And, yeah, because I think in certain sectors which have undoubtedly had it hugely uh, bad, and I'm thinking like leisure sector, entertainment sectors, for example. Mm. It must be so hard for that type of business to uh, you know, to not um, just sit at home and uh, from a business sense just really feel quite down and feel quite sorry for themselves and feel quite helpless and lots and lots of other words that... Uh, you know, that could describe that situation. But for a service sector business, with the technology that we all have access to, should we choose to use it? Um, there were so many opportunities, unfortunately, created because of the, you know, the sadness of what everybody was going through. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how I would view that. And I think... If you're sitting here 12 months later and you're sitting in a service sector business and what your business looks like today and what you're doing today and what your six-month, two-year plan from this moment forward, if that is no different to what it was 12 months ago, in other words, you haven't done anything, Mm. uh, you have missed a massive opportunity and you only miss that opportunity once without realising that you wished you could go back in time and maybe say to yourself, okay, there was a whole lot of things I could have been doing that I potentially haven't been doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's what I would be... Uh, well, that's, that's how I thought about it myself. And, you know, something for me, uh, very fortunately, because I've been through disasters in the past, we're back to the experience again, I pretty much knew, okay, this is what we need to do. This is what we're going to do. Um, In the last 12 months, we've launched new products. We've launched new services. We've got a new pricing structure. We've changed office. We've moved from having an office environment that, in effect, was a face-to-face training centre where we could accommodate courses. We're now in a room that's about a quarter the size. It's 60% less rent. Um, etc. etc. You know, it's yeah, you know, nice. Does that make sense? I agree. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, uh, it's about taking stock and then remaining flexible. Yeah, and and, and moving quickly, moving quickly. Yeah, and and um, yeah, thinking quickly. Yeah, as um, one of my sort of or 
perhaps one of my sort of downfalls that I used to have is um, I used to sort of stagnate in a position too much because I was indecisive about what I wanted to do rather than just going for what my gut tells me yeah. to do, basically. Yeah, well, it's a couple. Of, yeah, yeah. So you said something there, <laughs> and it's a couple of thoughts, and and, uh, and I've said this quite a few times to people in business or people in teams. Um, uh, one expression that I really like, yeah, is don't make the perfect the enemy of the good, yeah. So that's right. Uh, and there are too many occasions in the business world, and it's usually the leaders within a business that are maybe like this, where. They don't want to quite do something just yet because it's not perfect, you know. Mm. And if if it's 80-85% good enough, then you know, it will never be perfect. And kind of linked to that is, you know, it's almost like once you get to that point where you know that you're going to make a decision and you know that you've got to do something you know it might be knocking on doors you know or whatever it is there comes a point where you just got to say just do it you know just whatever you do just get out there and do something because if you do something you're at mm. least creating the opportunity that something good is going to happen whereas if you just sit in the office uh, working out to the nth degree how you're going to do this thing and you keep putting it off and you keep mm -hmm. procrastinating and nothing outside of that room you're sitting in is going to change because no one has got the message so yeah that's kind of how i would feel about those things don't make the perfectly any enemy of the good and once it's good enough do something don't don't hang around do something because nothing will happen unless you do something mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that. Um, I was writing my thesis, and uh, or I wasn't writing my thesis <laughs> because <laughs> okay. I was thinking in my brain how I might write this thing. Yeah. Um, but one of my supervisors said, "Just write anything, just even if it's a load of garbage. You can go back and edit it later. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just write and get into the habit of doing it." Um, so I guess that's that goes for anything, really. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I like that. I like that example. Yeah. 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 Um, so with your book then, what would you say your three key um, things are for being effective? <laughs> right. So as you've probably gathered by now, um, yeah, <laughs> trying to narrow me down to just three, Julia. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Yeah. Okay. It's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> a bit of a challenge. Uh, just something for people to take yeah. into their day. You know, you know right, at the start yeah. of the morning. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff, and you're not the first person that's asked me. You know, my top tip or my top five tips or my top three tips, and and there are so many to choose from. And we'll ignore tip number one, which would be buy the book. Okay. So let's put that to the side. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think first tip is time management. Now, I can't really give a concise um, approach to time management. That means that all of your time management uh, problems disappear. But mm. I'm going to say something about why time is important and why time is the most valuable thing that we all have. Yeah. So um, I could, I could uh, back transfer to you right now a uh, a million quid. Okay, Julia? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> Go um, for it. <laughs> but you can't use that million pounds to buy me back the last 45 minutes that we've spent talking. Yeah? Mm. Okay. I could send you 20 million quid and you can't buy back the last 45 minutes of your life. And that's mm. the point I'm making from that perspective. So, on the basis that time is valuable beyond mm. the ability that anybody has to uh, pay for the time that's already passed. Uh, it does concern me when I see people not necessarily using time to its most effective. Now, we all need downtime, mm. we all need sleep, we all need holidays, we all need uh, things that uh, we do to relax. But by the same token, um, 
we can all get much better at turning the time that we have uh, into something that is beneficial in whatever way someone wants wants to define beneficial. So I'm not necessarily meaning financially beneficial. It could be emotionally beneficial. It could mm. be uh, physically beneficial. Um, because once that moment's passed, it ain't coming back again. Yeah. So so time is precious. Yeah. Don't waste it. And that leads me on to the second point. And this is a fairly modern thing, I would suggest. And it's a thing that occurs uh, predominantly with the younger generations than myself. And people these days just don't appreciate the value of a paper diary. Some mm. people don't even appreciate the value of any sort of diary. And that makes me very, very nervous when I see that in any sort of service sector business environment. People mm. without diaries, people without pens, people without paper. Um, that makes me very nervous. And when I'm talking about a diary, a paper diary, in other words, just a normal diary that you would buy off a shelf at WH Smith or wherever, you should think about it as being more than just somewhere where you record the time that your dentist appointment is or when your appraisal is or when the mm. meeting with the client is. You should actually take the time and the space within that diary to document all aspects of what potentially is going to impact upon what you're trying to achieve or what you're doing with your time on any particular day. So, for example, uh, Julie, if we take this uh, situation here, yeah, I've known for a number of weeks that we were going to have this conversation today and in my paper diary we've got whatever time it was this afternoon a zoom meeting with yourself and mm. i think that's pretty good i think where i take it one stage further is two days ago i had an entry in the diary uh, alerting me to the fact that i was going to have this interview with you today mm. and also stapled to that page of the, that diary i had uh, the list of one or two of the questions that you told me in advance that you're going to ask me. Yeah, all in the yeah. same place. Uh, and that gave me the opportunity over the last couple of days to to think about what was coming up a day, two days later. Now, mm. I worry when people, first of all, wouldn't have that in a diary at all. And they would mm. maybe be relying on some electronic beep to remind them mm. that hey, the meeting's coming up in 15 <laughs> minutes. And I also think that someone doesn't, someone who doesn't view the diary as a time management organisational uh, aid, essential aid, rather essential aid, that could actually be used to make them uh, more effective and more efficient. I think someone that doesn't uh, take that extra step is missing a trick. They really are missing a trick. So mm. that's my second thing. And the last thing I'm going to say, which is number three, is document it. Anytime you have a business conversation with anybody, so boss with a member of staff, staff with a boss, business with a customer, business with a supplier, anything that's got any sort of uh, substance to it in terms of what needs to be delivered or when it needs to be delivered or who said what to whom, anything like that, document it. And mm. it's so easy today. Uh, when I was in my 20s, we would have to dictate a letter that went to a typing pool that then came back to you a day later with a mistake on it, which then had to be corrected by going back to the typing pool, which then went back to you, which then went in a post box, which then landed in the customer's you know, office two days later. Okay. That's what life was like you know, 40 years ago, for argument's sake. It is so easy today with email. After a conversation you've had with a customer, for example, just to say, you know, hey, John or Jane, uh, really nice talking to you earlier this afternoon. Just to recap what we talked about, you said you wanted the phase one report for that site completed by five o'clock on the 29th of April. You know? It's in writing what you agreed. And if John yeah. or Jane then comes to you on the 25th of April and tells you, well, when I spoke to you on the phone, you said it would be ready by now. You've actually protected yourself. 
you've actually sent them the email that documents what it was that you would that you agreed and that is a lovely recipe for the avoidance of doubt for the avoidance of miscommunication for uh, keeping customer relationships on a very high level and also keeping uh, relationships between team members and the uh, hierarchies within a business in a at a very very healthy level and it makes me very nervous when i see people that just randomly believe that the person that they're talking to has heard and understood everything exactly the same way that they have and at some stage in the future um, that conversation is not going to come back and hurt somebody in some way. It's a controllable. It's a controllable. You choose what you want to do. You know, choose to leave things to fate and hope that nothing bad ever happens or choose to take control and be professional and, you know, and life will be a much less stressful place, I would generally suggest. Yeah. Mm. So there you go. Three things. How long did that take me? 25 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I think you, you've got it spot on, really. Um, all of those things resonate with me. Um, particularly the the two last ones. Uh, well, actually all of them, to be honest. But um, yeah, I um, I read somewhere that if you actually write something down as well, physically, the, the action of writing on paper helps you actually remember it, it um, affects your brain in some sort of different way to typing it. So uh, Okay, okay. I, I can, it's not something I've heard, but I can understand why that would work. That could certainly work for some people. Yeah, that could certainly work for some people. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. And the, uh, the idea of backing everything up as in sending emails out to people to say, this is what we agreed to. I think that's very important because I often forget actually what um, because I've got so many different bits and bobs going on. I kind of forget. Oh, maybe I'm supposed to be doing this or something, and then I have to look at that email, and it sort of just reclarifies everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Right. What's next? Anything else? <laughs> um, I don't know. Oh, uh, I've got a bit of a fun one here. What okay. would you name the autobiography of your life? <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the effective ecologist. Uh, well, no, I, I'm probably more like the ineffective author or something like that, yeah. Um. <laughs> You're not allowed to be that either. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I kind of had an idea that you were going to ask me something along those lines. And uh, I, had a, I had a little bit of a, a think about it and uh, also asked my... I asked my wife, uh, my my wife Aileen, what she thought, and uh, she came up with a few things. Uh, some of which I wouldn't be able to say out loud, to be fair. But uh, <laughs> so things like you know, it's never dull, or there's always a story, or something like that. But I had, I had a little bit to think about it though, because um, I thought I think I come across as a reasonably confident reasonably kind of stable kind of person yeah I don't know I, I don't know I think some people and I think this happens when you do things like if you write a book people then think oh he's written a book or she's written a book they they must be they must be really uh, I don't know special Serious, important knowledgeable experienced <laughs> yeah. I don't know different people would have different uh perceptions on that mm. and I've kind of got to say that it's definitely not how I view myself and 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 I think about Aileen uh, my wife who's uh, you know we've been together for uh, you know what 13 14 years and she's mm. been with me uh, when uh, some of these things that have been happening regarding the changes in the business and the books mm. and uh, the training products that we've launched and stuff like this and and I think the thing I would say is when you have an idea or, and we'll take the effective ecologist as an example since that's what you're wanting to talk about today when, when it pops into your head I'm going to try and do something with this information and I don't quite know what it's going to be 
and I don't quite know what it's going to look like at the end. And I'm not sure if anybody's going to be interested in it. I'm not sure if a publisher's going to, if it's a book, I'm not sure if a publisher's going to think it's going to be something that's worth them investing their time and their resources in and stuff like that. Mm. When you're at the very start of that process, whatever it is, it's for me, it's a very uncomfortable place to be. For me, it's a very uncertain place. For me, it's the beginning of something that I might spend a lot of time and a lot of thought on that doesn't actually go anywhere. And there, are, mm. and there have certainly been projects like that, things that nobody knows about because so far in, uh, it was decided it wouldn't work or it was a bad idea or, uh, or whatever. But that very early days, it's uncomfortable um, you're not full of yourself. You're not thinking this is fabulous. You're not thinking this is going to be amazing. You're not thinking that anybody, let alone everybody, you're not thinking that anybody's going to be interested in it. And you're potentially thinking that you're going to make a complete prat of yourself, for argument's sake, either uh, you know, in terms of damage to your personality or damage to your brand or damage, you know, amongst your friends or your colleagues or whatever. So, you know, all of this stuff is there and it's the great unknown. And I think many, many people probably avoid doing things, certain things, especially in their professional life, because they're afraid of um, getting it wrong or making a mistake mm. or it not being successful. And... I suppose I got myself in a situation, uh, very luckily, uh, for talking about the books, with the first book, the Social Calls book, where myself and Keith and Andy, who are uh, working on that project with me, we just decided, you know, we're going to do this, and if it doesn't matter if no one else is interested, we're kind of doing it because we want to do it, and because, because we want to put together what we think we know about that particular subject matter and if only three people that are interested in this or read this stuff is just myself, Keith and Andy, we would have probably viewed that on day one of that idea as being good mm -hmm. enough, being successful enough. And But very, very scary, very scary. You start seeing for the first time uh, a cover of a book appearing on Amazon you know, which happens many, many months before the book's available. Um, I remember the first time that happened. Um, myself, Keith and Andy, and they'll, they'll, they'll be happy for me to say this because we went through the same emotional journey together. We were terrified. We were absolutely terrified at that point because at that point, it was there. People could see it. People could pre-order it. People could, you know, and at that point, we just wanted to leave the country and you know because we just assumed everything was going to be bad we just assumed we would be criticized we would be torn apart we just assumed that it wasn't going to be a good experience and so asking me uh, i think the title would be along the lines of uncomfortable because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that i think that's what sums it up uncomfortable and because that's how I feel at the beginning of any business or any business idea or anything that's been written or delivered or any course that I'm about to deliver an hour from now. And that, that hour before people walk in the room, when you just think to yourself, you kind of know that you could do it, but you don't know that you're going to do it and you don't know what the reaction's going to be and mm. you can't anticipate what the rest of the world around you is going to do in the next seven hours for argument's sake um, there is nothing comfortable about that situation at all and, and I think for me the lesson that I've learned for myself is try and go beyond the comfort zone don't be afraid of it and accept that some people sometimes are not going to like uh, what you've said or what you've done and you know just just accept that 
and I'm not mm. saying that you accept it in a big-headed way, but you just accept that um, we're all human, as you said earlier, Julia. And, you know, if your heart and your head's in the right place and you're trying to do the right things for the right reasons, um, that's all you can do is just look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I did my best and today it wasn't good enough. Uh, tomorrow it'll be better, perhaps. And I'll just keep trying and I'll just keep building on my experience and just try and do better going forward. You know, that's kind of how I kind of view things. Yeah. It's like if I could go back 45 minutes and start this interview again. Yeah. I would be thinking to myself, ah, <laughs> why did I say that? <laughs> uh, everything's been great though. <laughs> okay. Okay. <Yeah. laughs> I'll probably be analyzing it for weeks, but that's just, that's, uh, that's just the way my brain works. Okay. <laughs> I, I go back over things and and you probably got this when you were a, when you were a teacher uh, or a lecturer. Um, yeah. You can deliver an amazing lecture in your previous life, but if one of your students didn't like it or gave somebody bad feedback, that's the thing you remember. That's the, you know, and it's, yeah, it's wrong. Totally. It, it's totally out of kilter with what actually happened. Um, yeah. But that's but that's the thing that affects you. It, you know, a thousand people could say that was brilliant, but if one person says I don't like that bit, that's for me. That becomes ninety-five percent of the story. <laughs> the the one percent bit that was uh, not enjoyed by one percent of the people that was there. That then just fills my world. Um, yeah, so. That's just the way I yeah, am. Yeah, unfortunately, I know that plight, so <laughs> um, I'm very much the, the same in that respect. Yeah. But uh, I've, I've kind of learned that you've got to kind of just let it go. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, and I do it's think... not worth that, hanging on to. Yeah. Yeah, and I do think <laughs> that there are some people, and, and I really feel for them, kind of going back to what we were talking about now earlier, I think there are some people that maybe experience that, um, as a one-off mm. and that possibly then wrongly yeah. uh, puts them off doing it again or trying mm. something different and and I think that's a shame I think that's a huge shame because there'll be many many uh, books and bits of research or presentations or whatever's that have never been done by people that are probably considerably more able or more knowledgeable about some of mm. these things. And the reasons they've never been done is because that person has just been fearful uh, of what might go wrong or that something's gone wrong in the past and that's kind of stayed with them and it's been difficult for them to get back on the horse, so to speak. Yeah, and, mm. and I think that's a huge, huge shame. So please, if, if you're one of those people, get, get back on the horse, okay? Because if an Egypt like me can do this kind of stuff, anybody can do it, okay? That's, <laughs> seriously, and I genuinely, I'm, I'm saying that because... You're far from an idiot. No, seriously, I, I most certainly, uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, when that, when, you know, if you spend time sort of talking to me in a kind of personal context, um, I'm terrible for getting the wrong word in the right sentence and stuff like this and people look at me and go he's just said a completely <laughs> he's used a word that doesn't mean anything to do with what he's talking about <laughs> yeah, that's another one of my yeah it's another one of my unfortunate uh yeah it's another one of my unfortunate uh, traits quirks i don't even know if those are the right words for what i'm trying to describe but i think you get what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people can suffer from imposter syndrome as well, whereas they should uh, try and value what they've learned and what they know and their own experience, yeah. especially if they start a new job or something and then they've got that six-month bedding in period, which is quite stressful, and they think, oh, geez, you know, should I be here? What am I doing here? <laughs> that's I'm glad you said six months there because that's, that's what I would say as well, Julia. I get I get a little bit uh, concerned when somebody started a new job and they're a week or they're two weeks into the new job and they start saying things, oh, I don't like it, I don't think I'm going to be happy 
etc etc and you think no, you've you've only been there like a moment mm. right? and 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 six months is what I would normally say to somebody I would say it's going to take you at least six months to work out how good or how bad or how indifferent you're going to be and also barring you doing something really um you know bonkers like uh, something that would get you kicked out the door in a second barring <laughs> that it's going to take a good business usually a good six months to recognize uh, the value of anything that you bring to the table yeah so mm-hmm. if a business expects you to walk in and two weeks in uh, start um, being a fruitful asset of that business straight away and that tends not to happen in service sector businesses. Okay, that might happen in Hollywood, okay? <laughs> but, but that, that doesn't happen in a normal business. It normally takes somebody a good six months before um, the business's investment in them, be it financial or developmental, begins to uh, bear fruit, I would suggest. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so lastly then, if you didn't do what you, you do now and your role didn't exist at all as an opportunity to do, what would you do as an alternative career? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know something? When I was a kid, yeah, sort of 10, 11, 12 years old, <clears throat> I, I was, I've been a birder since the age of eight. Okay, so I've been a a birder, bird watcher, twitcher, different things at different times, but I've been whatever that is since the age of eight. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to go to Aberdeen University and study zoology. Now, back then, that was a very weird thing to do, okay? There were no bat consultants and uh, studying uh, wildlife and stuff like that was a very odd thing to be interested in. Um, mm-hmm. 50 years ago, I'm talking about maybe 45, 50 years ago. And I was never smart enough. Uh, when I left school, uh, it was difficult to get into university uh, at that time. I'm not saying it's not difficult today, but it was very few people went into university when I was in my late teens. It was, I would say 80% of the people that I knew didn't go to university. Mm. And I didn't have the qualifications to do a zoology degree. And it was the only thing I was interested in. I ended up working in pubs and hotels and then I eventually ended up working for an insurance company which was supposed to be a six-month thing that I would do until I got something more interesting. And that more interesting thing didn't happen until about 24 years later when, you know, I took the redundancy money and I set up my Time for Bespoke Solutions business and then Echoes. So it's so, so hard for me to answer that question, Julia. And mm-hmm. the thing that, no, there are tough days here, undoubtedly. There are stressful days here, undoubtedly. I pretty much work seven days a week. Uh, not because I have to, but uh, I'm just always working. My brain's always working. And uh, Aileen and I, we often uh, talk about, right, when am I going to retire? When am I going to stop doing stuff? And it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I can't see me ever stopping uh, doing some sort of something that's related to the stuff that I'm interested in and what I'm passionate in, uh, passionate mm-hmm. about. And uh, and I was supposed to, when I left Echoes, that was supposed to be a semi-retirement. Yeah. And, and I'm now working longer hours than I did when I was the managing director of that business. So semi-retirement's gone pear shaped <laughs> so I've kind of I've kind of uh, dodged the question but I am really really struggling I kind of used to joke with people in Echoes that if I didn't do that life would be so much easier if I just uh, did something that was always in my head also from a teenager and that was working mm. in a shoe shop now I don't know where working in a shoe shop came from but it's something that I've said to people for uh, decades you know along the lines of you know I don't have to do this uh, I would be quite happy working in a shoe shop <laughs> but 
brilliant. But I don't have a foot fetish or anything like that, okay? So... <laughs> but that's just something as I'm talking to you that kind of comes to mind. You know, I've probably said that hundreds of times over the years. Um, and it's the sort of thing I say if I'm having a bad day at work and I'm thinking like, well, what could I be doing that would be not easier? Okay, I'm not suggesting working at a shop's easy, but what could be as different to what this thing is that's stressing me out at this moment? What could be the thing that would take me as far away from this kind of uh, stress? Um, and it would be the stress of working in a shoe shop would have the thing that came to mind. Yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling. I'll shut up. It sounds like you're in the right place <laughs> doing what you're supposed to be doing. So what, what, what would you do? What would you do if you had the choice? Are you, I mean, let me ask you the question. Yeah, what would be your alternative <laughs> career? Well, um, I'm sort of, uh, I really love knowledge. I love information. So I'm, I'm kind of doing what I should be doing right now in terms of being a technical manager. But if I had unlimited cash, um, the ability to be anywhere, I guess I would sort of set up a lab somewhere in the tropics studying plant pathology because that's what my, my degree was in. So, uh, yeah. Or, or just, uh, I really love traveling and seeing other cultures. So even something like that, there's just so many things that you could choose to do. You know, my um, some of my relatives were in the film industry. They used to work um, down at Pinewood Studios. Okay. So yeah. One of them um, built the original King Kong. So wow. that's also really fascinating for me, like the film industry. So. Wow. No, yeah. that's, that's, that's amazing. So, have you got a favourite country? You know, what, 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 what's the what's your favourite country country you've been to so far uh, overseas? Um, well, so, I went to China uh, okay. for a conference uh, to present my um, research somewhere. So, I, I chose there. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. yeah. Um, I took a, a week's holiday with that and went around the Great Wall and the Summer Palace, that sort of thing. So, yeah. and I went to Australia as well and. Yeah, uh, I'd like to go to Japan. That would be really good. Just to see the cultural differences. I, I like being culturally shocked and, or not shocked as such, but placed in a, a situation that's totally different. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that sounds amazing, sounds amazing. Well, I haven't been to Japan, China or Australia. I haven't been to any of those places, but uh, yeah. What yeah. about you? Where's the, the most extraordinary oh, place? Yeah. Um, I, ha- I haven't travelled as much as I probably should have or I could have, uh, primarily because uh, for the bulk of my life, well, for the first 30 odd years of my life, I was terrified of flying. Uh, I wouldn't fly anywhere. Um, okay. Yeah, so that uh, kind of restricted. Um, certain trips didn't happen because I wouldn't go to certain places uh, by plane. Yeah. But uh, kind of favourite places I've been to since then, I uh, loved Costa Rica. Um, yeah. Namibia, loved Namibia. Oh wow! Um, and um, Thailand, yeah. Um, not not you know, totally different experience, but uh, I yeah. thought Thailand was an amazing Definitely. place. Yeah, but but, but yeah. wildlife wise, wildlife wise, yeah, Costa Rica or Namibia, um, yeah. I've been to places like Kenya and the Gambia and Tanzania and places mm. like that as well. Uh, but for me, just the feel of Namibia, um, the the culture, as you put it, the uh, felt fairly, you know, it felt uh, friendly, safe, uh, mm. in a lot of respects, um, politically stable. Uh, I remember, and this is that I. This is what we were told when we were met off uh, the plane at Namibia by our guide. And they had a group of us. And the first thing they said, and it's possibly not entirely politically correct what they said, but I think it kind of summed up the trip. And it was along the lines of, welcome to Namibia, no terrorists and no earthquakes. No, that was kind of... That was his welcoming. That was his welcoming, welcoming comments to a load of people that had just landed in the country. It was like the two most important things that he had to say to us. There isn't going to be an earthquake and we don't have any terrorists. <laughs> and, uh, uh, 
And that was quite interesting because the year before we'd been in Costa Rica for our, uh, yeah, we'd been in Costa Rica for our honeymoon, right? And Costa Rica's pretty much got a volcano for every day of the week, you know, it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm exaggerating slightly there, but uh, yeah. So well, I went to Bali and uh, they had issues with the volcano just before I went there and I was like, oh, crikey, will I be able to actually go there? But yeah, I managed to get there and um, I found myself on this really posh beach. I, I don't do posh generally, uh, but they were like <laughs> raking the sand for these very posh people that were staying there on in the hotels and, okay, okay. <laughs> you, you know... <laughs> It was uh, something different, and then uh, I ended up in like the uh, the definitely not posh areas. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds fascinating. Sounds fascinating. Yeah, it, it was. They the people were really nice over there. Um, they've got such a different way of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> Right, so Thank you, Dokes. Yeah, else, or have I have I have I done my time or (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Thank you ever so much. Brilliant. Well thank you and I really appreciate being asked by you to do this. Um yeah, it's uh don't get asked to do stuff like this that often and and it's always nice. It's always nice to be asked to do stuff and I hope that I've said enough and <laughs> I've... Uh, yeah, it's been I, really yeah, interesting. Yeah, I've tried not to sit in a fence, okay? I've tried to kind of say <laughs> uh, how I see things, okay? And um, if I've offended anybody out there, I apologise. Send me an email and I'll uh, I'll apologise to you, you know, in person, okay? <laughs> <That's what laughs> Likewise from myself. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed this Talking Bat interview, which is an edited, audio-only version of the original videoed session. The full version, including video, is available via Batability Club, our online training platform. To find out more about Club, go to batability.co.uk. Till next time, thank you.